Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 79, and we're reviewing part six, Stone Ocean, Sea, Moon, Two. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. And we're continuing on with that localized stand title of Sea, Moon, Two, spelled S-E-E, Moon. So clever. Although there's not much to see of Sea, Moon in this episode compared to the last one. I feel like the stand has only appeared very fleetingly in this one, but I guess it's it's the conclusion of the Sea Moon arc anyways, so. Yeah, that's a good point. We like don't see anything of Sea Moon. I, th- I felt like Sea Moon's highlighting moments were in the previous episode, and yet this one is titled Sea Moon. I don't know, the the whole Sea Moon thing comes and goes very, very quickly in the anime. I can't quite remember if it feels this quick in the manga, but it it's like we talked last week about Koichi's stand from part four, where either Echoes Act 1 or Echoes Act 2, whichever it was, felt very quick, like it only had a short moment of... Uh, of being in the spotlight, and then it evolved to the next iteration. Yeah, he just wanted to to kill the whole beach, so (laughs) we needed to move on to that part. And speaking of moving on, let's move on to some JoJo news for this week, which it's going to be a very exciting time for JoJo fans of both the anime and the manga, and more so the manga, because Part 9's manga, The JoJo Lands, is about to be released as of the release of this episode. I think it's going to begin serialization on Friday, February 17th, which will have been two days prior or two to three days prior to this episode. Yeah, it's kind of exciting to see how quickly we're getting information on Jojo Lands. You'd think Araki would take a break, but I guess he doesn't need a break. Well, he did take a break because 2021 was when part eight Jojolian concluded so you bet about a, a year or so but okay yes and no <laughs> i mean maybe, in, yeah, maybe by manga's standards that's not much of a break in in the time span of a year you still need to start planning and preparing for the new serial serialization so i don't know i mean we we've had other manga that go on hiatus for years and years and years for a good reason of course um but when it comes to a rocky he could probably take a little bit longer of a break if he wants. Not that I'm complaining that more JoJo's coming out. Yeah, that's that's true. But I don't know. Do you think that part nine might be the last JoJo part that we're going to get? Like this will be the actual conclusion to the entire series? No. I want him to get really? to 10. <laughs> I want him to get to at least 10 JoJo parts if he's going to stop the the ongoing saga because he is getting up there in age i don't know how much he has left in him um i think he's 60 he still looks good for his age though um but yeah i mean time as it is in jojo it's also a factor in real life uh so i don't know also i was reading an article that suggests that ending the entire series of jojo's bizarre adventure with part nine there's a sort of symmetry to that because if you think about like parts one through three how that was almost like an interconnected story and then four to six were kind of offshoots but then you reach six and that kind of has its own finale for uh, Jojo and then parts seven and eight 
and it had their all like a slightly different continuity, but one that almost mirrored what we saw in the first six parts. And so I feel like nine would almost be like a definite way to end these sort of trilogies, almost like the the nine episodes of the Star Wars saga. I could see that. I guess I just want more JoJo than less JoJo. I mean, of course. But yeah. it also depends too, like how the story progresses for JoJo lands and how long it takes Araki to put that together. Because you say he's up there in age, but sixty, it, it, it's pretty young in the grand scheme of things. Um, I don't know about for like an artist, like maybe that is a lot for them to to handle with. Sorry, he's he's sixty two. <laughs> sixty sixty two, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, he's yeah. he's still young overall, and I feel like he. Um, could still be young enough to put out another JoJo part, but with how long it takes him to put out each part of JoJo, it could be like a decade before JoJo lands ends. Yeah, another decade, <laughs> just like with part eight. So yeah, as of this recording, we, we still don't have much information about the story of part nine. However, I did come across some interesting promotion for the manga that has appeared in Japan, more specifically the train stations in Japan. Um, There are two that have these really nice painted murals to promote the manga, uh, one of which is in uh, Shibuya Station. Uh, It's a huge Jojo mural um, in black and white that spans across all parts of the manga that have been released so far. I think it includes um, part nine, maybe not, but... It's a very expansive mural, probably good as a, a desktop background for anyone who has like the the wide screen monitors. Um, but we'll share a video on the Discord of someone who was able to capture the mural in its entirety for everyone to look at. Um, I also stumbled upon an Instagram video, a link to which we can also share on the Discord, of Harajuku Station, which has a stairway that's just decked out in jojo mural glory um also depicting the eight parts that have been released in manga form and the overhanging ceiling shows the protagonist for part nine as well as a big nine to celebrate its release i think the cool thing about this mural or this promotional display is that the stairway itself leading up to um the top of the staircase uh the steps have been painted to show what looks like Polnareff climbing the stairs. I think that's a reference to part three when he encounters Dio and he always ends up at the bottom of the stairs, right? Yeah, I think so. And that everything's a JoJo reference. Everything, including a staircase. That's a JoJo reference. So I'm glad that they added that little bit in there. Yeah, of course, a stateside, I, I doubt there would be any train stations either in our area in Chicago or any other metropolis that would want to deck out their walls in manga art to celebrate the release of a manga. But, I mean, yeah, it's cool for the JoJo fans in Japan to get to see this wonderful art. So, like I said, we'll share links to both videos in the Discord so you can check them out for yourselves. 
So let's jump into Seamoon 2, which is very absent of Seamoon. It's there, it, you know, it pops up from, from time to time, but really it's not about Seamoon whatsoever. It's about Jolene versus Poochie and the return of your boy, Jotaro Kujo. Yes, to quote Rafiki from The Lion King, the king has returned. And what an entrance. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about how Jotaro is introduced in this episode, and I think it's just a fantastic way to usher him back into the story of Stone Ocean. But it was just great because I feel like Jotaro has always felt like jo- uh, Jojo's trump card in previous parts, like obviously part three, his starring role, um, but also part four, yeah, part four in a way, um, particularly because of the supremacy of Star Platinum's ability to stop time. But then that kind of gets flipped on its head now once we reach the end of this episode. And when we come to that realization with Jotaro, I think that's what makes Pucci really terrifying as a Jojo villain. But, I mean, I I just love seeing his time to shine and his return again to Stone Ocean. I think the only downside about Jotaro's return is that it was spoiled like twice before it actually happened. We talked about in the previous episode, Ko- uh, Koichi, <laughs> Emporio, <laughs> wrong uh, small Jobro. Uh, Emporio got a text from Jotaro saying, I'm on my way over there. I know Jolene's alive. She's okay. And I'm like, okay, again, missed opportunity for a great cliffhanger ending. Mm-hmm. But then this episode starts off with Pucci trying to find Jolene and saying, I need to kill her as quickly as possible possible because it's inevitable that Jotaro is going to be here soon. I'm like, okay, well, come on, guys. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, something about great storytelling that includes keeping the viewer in the dark as long as possible so that a reveal can be as epic as it can be. Right. Because I think I mentioned in the previous episode, like uh, almost like a reference to Avengers Endgame, um, spoiler alert, the heroes appear at the end of that movie. Um, after having been snapped away by Thanos. I mean, we know it's coming, but we never got, like, a lot of hint. Like, we did get hints up to it, but, I mean, we just let that moment speak for itself, basically. And I think it would have been great if the same could have applied to Jotaro's return, even though, in reality, we kind of got spoon-fed that he was going to come back. It doesn't make it any less epic, though, I will admit. Like, it was still hype the first time we watched this episode. It was still hype when I read the manga. It's still hype even during our rewatches. So it is nice to have him back. And the moments right after between him and Jolene are so sentimental, so special, even though they are very small. When it comes to Jotaro, he doesn't show his emotions. He doesn't show a lot of any sort of human connection. So these small moments, as tiny as they are, are huge for him and his daughter. I also just love how this entire fight, if you think about the way Jolene's been the entire show, she's very loud. She um, she's very expressive. She yells a lot because she's going through so much like physically and like pushing herself mentally in each of these, you know, enemy stand users that she's going up against. But when it comes to this fight and she's fought Poochie before, but when it comes to this fight with Poochie, I love how silent and eerie she is almost like striking fear in Poochie's heart because she's just had enough I mean she's already exhausted because her heart was about to turn inside out that takes a lot out of somebody Mm -hmm. but the fact that she's 
very like spooky and like messing with him the entire time until she finally uh, reveals herself or shows herself is really really cool i loved how different this fight felt it's almost like she's achieved her final form in a way because like you said she was very reactive to fights in these previous parts of stone ocean whereas now like it's it's pretty much the end of the line like this is her last stand against Pucci. So now she's just very like she seems very focused and yeah, it she has labored breathing because of the whole heart thing, but I think like she knows that her objective is right in front of her and she just she has all of the experience, all the resources on her side. It's just that she just has to <laughs> uh take down Pucci as quickly and as efficiently as she can. All right, JoJo fans, time cannot be stopped right now because we're about to dive her down into our synopsis and discussion for Part 6, Episode 35, Sea Moon 2. Despite his attempt at her topsy-turvy termination, Poochie Gangier desperately seeks out the juvenile Joestar who just won't drift away while spurning the sneaky skirmishes of her spiteful seductor. Jolene finally reveals herself in their game of zero-gravity hide-and-seek, having escaped her initiation into the donut-slash-munchkin gang by decorating her body with a bunch of no-BS, mo-BS strips. Poochie Gangier turns to his Second Amendment right to bear arms as his last resort to eliminate Jolene once and for all, but before he can tell her to freeze, time itself freezes because daddy's fucking home... Jotaro arrives by way of Hermes' harpoon copter to stop Pucci and his bullets in their tracks. The permanent punishment of Pucci by the persistence of the prison posse is within their purview, but the pestilent priest performs one more petrifying program to close out the topsy-turvy day festivities by juggling a space shuttle in the air and announcing that cataclysmic Christmas has come early for Zawardo at large. Daddy Jotaro does his darndest to stop the sinister showstopper, but not even a harpoon can exhume the doom that's to descend upon them soon. And now onto our next segment of the show, is that a music and or fashion reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion. But alas, there are none for Sea Moon 2. Since we already know about Sea Moon, we've already seen that we've already seen sea moon yes <laughs> i think we're coming up on our the, like the last of any sort of references with the, the like the last arc and then the final episode yeah that's true there's only obviously one major reference that i can think of that's left but we'll Which see is what made in heaven yeah what about the episode title for the last episode oh yeah that's true too well that can kind of get in a weird space just because of localization but yeah we'll have to bring that one up because it's unique it's it's an episode title that is a reference but no possibly no actual reference in the episode but we'll get there when we get there as far as sea moon 2 goes it's now time for the jojo meme rundown we list each new jojo meme that appeared in this episode i don't have any unless you count like the mobius strip perhaps as like maybe not a jojo reference maybe like i don't know not a JoJo meme, but like a meme in other capacities. But yeah, I can't really think of anything at this point. As always, if we miss any, please reach out and let us know. 
So the episode starts off exactly where the last one left, which is Poochie pursuing Jolene, trying to figure out where she is. And the whole time he's trying to hunt her down, he's wondering how she's still alive and questions if this is the blood of the Joe stars and of Jotaro. The answer is yes. <laughs> I think he's finally realizing, or maybe he has realized for quite some time, what Dio has had to deal with since uh, the inception of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, since part one. The damn Joe stars, man, you cannot stop them. He also says that all of these hurdles he's faced have been tests of his faith, or I guess like his goal of his attain- fate. Fate, <laughs> one maybe of the both two. faith or fate. Um, in in trying to attain heaven, and yeah, it's just it's interesting to see how determined Pucci is in succeeding to the point where he doesn't even acknowledge any of these shortcomings as faults of his own, which we can talk a little bit more about towards the end of the episode because he brings up he brings up that idea a couple more times. But in this pursuit, a poor guy is like stuck on the ceiling, which I guess would be the floor for him because of the way gravity is working. And this guy is crying out to Pucci for help and Pucci straight up ignores him, doesn't acknowledge him, doesn't say anything to him, barely gives him a glance and just ignores him. And that's the... The dynamic that we struggle with with Pucci is that he is a priest. He is supposed to be a man of, you know, good faith and someone who helps anyone who needs it. And his whole goal, he feels, is going to better the world at large and bring everyone happiness. Yet he has no hesitation killing all these people and not helping people and being rude to people. So he is quite the uh, quite the dynamic guy, I guess you could say. Yeah, of course, not very priestly of him to just turn the other way instead of helping the guy. Although I'm like, he's stuck up in the rafters. I guess he could have used gravity to, or like manipulated gravity to get him back down. Um, Although I don't know how any emergency services would have been able to reach the guy since gravity is just so fucked up in this moment. Um, But yeah, as much as Pucci says he is not drawn towards power. It's kind of clear here that it, it might be going a little to his head in terms of how he thinks like the power of Dio and anime are on his side right now uh, and yeah, just how consumed he is by the fact that he is close to reaching the end goal of his plan. I find it really interesting, though, that he doesn't even want to engage with Anasui when Anasui is trying to attack him. He tells him to just go away. And that's been a pretty consistent thing with Pucci. Unless there's a specific connection, he kind of doesn't want to fight. Like, he, he didn't have any interest in, like, Emporio until, like, the next couple episodes or the last episode in particular. He doesn't have any interest in Anasui. Um, he doesn't really have any interest in Hermes. But he did have interest in Weather Report, of course, because they're they're twins. He had interest in Foo Fighters because he created Foo Fighters. And Foo Fighters betrayed him. And then even his interest in Jolene has moments of, like, where it laps. Like, where he just decides, don't even bother trying to kill her. She's probably not going to catch up to us anyway. Whatever. Clearly, those things came back to bite him in the ass because she never stopped her pursuit of him and her her um, goal of, of killing him and, and protecting the world. But it's just interesting that the main, I guess, not like an, uh, antagonist, the main enemy that he has, there are times where he's even willing to just let her go. I think because maybe in this moment, he doesn't consider Anasui as big of a threat as Jolene is. Um, and I think 
earlier he was just talking about how he's not going to let anyone stand in his way. The first example of that was the guy in the rafters that he could have helped. And then this Anasui being the second example, um, I think he's just so fixated on how it's the Joestar bloodline that's that's truly going to put a wrench in his plans that anyone else comparably is not even worth batting an eye towards. He's not a violent man by nature. He's not Dio in that sense. Dio would kill anybody for any reason, even if it was purely for entertainment, I'm sure. But that's not the way that Pucci operates. He was raised as a priest, not raised as a priest, but you know, from a young age has been embedded in the, the priest lifestyle and, and everything. So I think it's it's partly because he just doesn't want to fight anybody. He just wants to attain heaven. You can tell he takes no real joy in any of the fights that he has to get into. Um, even when he seems like he's messing with Jolene or happy that she's hurt or whatever, I don't think he seeks that out. Like he's not malicious or purely evil in that way. He's just so hellbent on attaining heaven for Dio's sake that you know he'll do what he has to do in order to get there. And with Anasui pursuing Pucci, he tricks him by, I guess, turning a dead Taurus body through Diver Down's abilities into like a mirror image of himself. But that doesn't really explain how he gets the dead body to move unless he used Diver Down to like do something to the bone structure to force it to move in the way that he wants it to. It was a very interesting thing. And it also just makes me remember how OP fucking Diver Down can be. Yeah. I mean, it's also, it's questionable how bone structure can manipulate someone to look like someone else i would figure it's like flesh and bones and yeah. it also reminds me of oh god what is that fucking that one arc that uh, it's probably our least favorite arc the um uh the feng shui guy that they fought oh, dragon's dream yeah how he like manipulated that stan user's legs to become springs i'm guessing it's kind of the same concept here P- uh, poochie honestly he's probably able to do something to this dead body to get it to move at least just enough to distract Pucci. But also for for Diver Down to manipulate the clothing to look like Anasui's as well. That's the clothing's not attached to bone structure. But it can it can manipulate anything, any object. Cuz remember he would tinker with cars and shit and like take stuff apart and mm. that's kind of how his uh stand developed. Okay. I mean, sure. I don't <laughs> yeah. think Diver Down is limited to people or living creatures it's anything so he could take the fabric of the dead body's clothes and then morph it into anasui's fishnet getup or whatever yeah because he i I don't remember the exact scene but i think he also used diver down to like open up one of the doors of the prison like he can do anything diver down is fucking op like i think if if i ever get that question in the future like who do you think is one of the most useful or powerful stands diver down's going on that list like, I, I think that that stand in the right hands, which is Anasui because he's so, he's highly intelligent, he's very perceptive and, and thinks outside the box, that makes Diver Down a, a force to be reckoned with. But then in this exchange between him and Pucci, I noticed that when Sea uh, Moon attacks the dead body that looks like Anasui, it projects something back out towards Pucci, and Sea Moon 
is trying to do something to stop it. Poochie tells Simun to move out of the way. So that makes me go back to that whole idea. Like, is Simun sentient? Does it have some sentient abilities because it was born of White Snake? Because why would he need to tell Simun to move out of the way? Wouldn't he just will it to move out of the way? Like Jotaro would will Star Platinum to move out of the way? Yeah. I think, like we discussed in the last episode, Simun kind of just exists in that hybrid space. I feel like it's it's also just from like the the characteristics from the green baby where it's still like developing its own sense of consciousness um and so that's why Poochie was just Poochie had to command it to move although was it teeth that were was it the guy's teeth that I were coming think it, towards I think it was cuz he got hit in the face his face the real face popped out as mm. it was reversing because the way honestly he described it is he anticipated C Moon would use his like reverse or its reverse gravity maneuver on that dead body. So he took the insides of the dead body, turned it inside out and made it look like himself so that when C Moon punched it, it would then reverse it again back to the original state, which is the, the Taurus body because that's why you see him kind of like emerge from Anasui's face. Mm. But then it's you see in a background shot that the face actually does turn inside out. Uh, then I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he just punched it so hard it like doubled up the reversal of gravity on it. But speaking of faces, we get yet another new Poochie move in this episode. He turns part of his face inside out to avoid damage. Have we seen this before? I don't think so. No, but I question that as well. It's like, how can Poochie just be able to turn himself inside out without any bodily injury like we've seen with Jolene? You know, last time we saw anything like that that I can think of, I could be overlooking a lot because I'm, I'm going way far back in the JoJo timeline, is part two when the fucking pillar men would, like, manipulate their bodies to avoid damage. Like, you'd um, see Santana, yeah. like, scrunch his body to go into the vents or I can't remember who it was, but somebody was fighting Joseph or whatever, and they were like fucking like moving their body in weird ways to avoid damage. Yeah, San was that was Santana. Maybe maybe it was all the Santana fight, but yeah, I, that's the last time I can think of that we've seen anything like this. My guess is that the logic behind this new Poochie move that we're probably not going to see again—it's a one and done, like many other Poochie moves—is that he's using the reversal of gravity on himself, but because he is the center of gravity. And he's also the stand user. He's probably not taking any damage by doing that. I would assume because like, it's his yeah, brain. Like Weatherport couldn't take damage on himself. Yeah, or how like Josuke can't heal himself. It's kind of weird how that works. Or how Jotaro couldn't shoot himself because Star Platinum was always saving the or like stopping the bullet. Stopping the bullet. So maybe it's just because like one's own stand ability can't be used to kill the stand user. Yeah, kind of like Jolene with the Mobius strip. I mean, she's literally got like ga gaping holes in her body, but she's not taking any damage. In fact, it's preventing her from taking damage. So this is where Poochie, uh, after the whole scuffle with Anasui, spoils everything by saying he has no doubt that Jotaro will be here soon to save Jolene, and he continues his pursuit of Jolene. But he did mention something that I thought was interesting. He said, of course, not only does he need to kill Jolene in this moment to progress his goal, and also to to get at Jotaro before Jotaro arrives, but he also needs to kill her as soon as possible because she is what's motivating everybody to keep going. And then we see shots of Emporio trying to climb 
you know, the what's technically the ground to reach Jolene and Anasui also trying to make his way there. And we can assume he's also referring to Hermes. So he sees how dedicated the Joe Bros are and how important she is to keeping this group together and helping everyone to be motivated to achieving that goal of, of stopping Poochie that he needs. It's like added layers as to why he needs to kill her. And when Poochie and Jolene finally start uh, going at it, they um, you see Jolene just being eerie, being creepy, being so fucking cool, like fighting in a way that she's never done before, largely because she's exhausted, but also because she's trying to mess with Poochie. And uh, eventually Simon does land a hit on her. And that's when we see her create the Mobius strip with her strings in order to dissipate that damage. And all I got to say about that is that David Production has done it once again with the sound design for that Mobius strip. It is so nice to listen to. I love it. I think it's a fantastic audio representation of what the Mobius strip would be if you were to see it in person. I just, I, I can't get over the sound of that strip. I want to just comment on how Jolene's comeback in this episode, the way that they framed it. And I don't know if this was how the... It was framed in the manga, but it's almost like you never get a clear shot of Jolene until Puji sees her with the Mobius strip on her torso. Is that it's almost like she is this creature out of a horror movie, or to put it in more relatable terms for me, it's almost like um, watching Batman in Batman Begins. When he's first introduced, you never get a full shot of him. Um, I just think it's a nice way to kind of flip the script where we saw Pucci as the initial aggressor in this arc, but now it's like the, the tables have turned where he's the one that becomes the target. And then that's something that kind of continues to happen in the rest of his episode until the climax where it almost feels like Pucci's plans are starting to unravel. And it all starts with Jolene basically being like Batgirl in this moment. That's a really good point. Poochie has been lurking in the shadows for the majority of Stone Ocean using White Snake as sort of his liaison. And here he's getting a taste of his own medicine through what Jolene is doing. And I love the way they frame it because my first time watching this, I didn't quite remember how this all played out in the manga. So I kept thinking to myself, wait, is it even her? Or is it a figment of his imagination? Because he's so tormented by Jolene not being able to be defeated? Or is it Anasui using like some other manipulation tactic with Diver Down to make Pucci think that Jolene is there to try and like distract him from her? I, I really had no idea where it was going or couldn't remember from the manga like what what direction that was going in. And that made it so much more fun to watch because you're just as confused as Pucci is. And in the middle of this fight, we get the eye catch. Yes. So the stand stats that are used in this episode are for stone free. However, I think we had seen this previously in part two of Stone Ocean and episode 23 specifically, Lock of the Jail. Um, so it's the same exact stats, of course. So we're not going to. <laughs> Rigby's kind of protesting that we're not <laughs> revealing the stand stats again for stone free. But, yeah, we've already discussed it, so no need to reiterate. Rigby, why are you barking? What is it? You're not even barking. You're like, you got little little boofs and woofs. 
if, you, if only you is. all could see this, he's just <laughs> laying on his side, completely relaxed, like a like a sleeping cow, but also buffing at something for some reason. There's Maybe no one he out is there. demanding that we read off the stand stats for Stone Free. <laughs> well, Rigby, you have to listen back to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, after the eye catch, we jump back in with the narrator explaining the concept of a Mobius strip. And essentially saying that it's, I guess, alluding to the fact that it's keeping gravity from having a certain direction after Jolene was hit by Sea Moon and making it directionless so that she can sort of either keep herself from taking damage or like dissipate that gravitational pull throughout her body until it like fizzles away. Because we see some of the Mobius strips stick around for a little while and we see the others show up and then like move across her body and then sort of disappear. So I assume that's how that's working. I think it's just because Mobius strips, you can't tell what the front or the back of it is. And so in that case, with Moon's ability to invert whatever object it punches, it doesn't know what to invert. And so I think that just leaves her body in a state of being unharmed, which is what allows it to quote unquote regenerate or like for her body parts to come back again. Although she only keeps that huge one um, on her torso for whatever reason. I think that's because the amount of damage. It seems like the more Mm. damage she takes in a spot, the longer the Mobius strip needs to be there to then eventually dissipate that gravitational pull, which is ultimately directionless, I think. (laughs) if we have any physics majors out there or physics experts that want to reach out to us and explain in depth how the Mobius strip could save Jolene from inverted gravity, let us know. I'd be very interested. But you can see through her too with the Mobius strip. So that makes me think that in a way she was donated. I don't think so. (laughs) You brought this up when we were rewatching it. No, I don't think so because... My con, my understanding of being donutted is being pierced through the front, out the back by a fist of an enemy. When Simoon punches Jolene, he never makes it out the back of her. In fact, he doesn't even pierce her skin. He just like hits the right spot to then invert her chest and her her heart along with it. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Like the Mobius strip, you she has a hole in her chest, but that's of her own accord using the Mobius strip. It's not because okay. Moon was able to pierce straight through her. So I guess you could, you could call her a self-inflicted donut victim, but <laughs> <laughs> but she's not dying and mm-hmm. she uh, she's doing it for good reason. She lives on in infinity. Poochie then takes things up a notch by deciding to walk around the room that they're in, changing gravity in many different directions until eventually a security guard falls through the windows along with his gun. And Poochie decides to do things um, the American way, (laughs) being in Florida, and just grabs the gun and fires it right at Jolene. But right before the bullets can hit, the epic moment occurs. Time stops. There's this amazing, short, silent pause as we just see the reactions of Jolene and the Joe Bros. And then as Jotaro's arm peeks out and reaches for his daughter, his theme song plays. And it was just so well done. Yeah. What a great reveal to show that Jotaro's return is by him using his time-stopping ability and coupling that with the sound effect for time-stopping in Jojo that we have 
come to know and love. Um, like we didn't need to see Jotaro shoot into frame. I think the fact that it was the time stop that showed the audience he's back was was a lot more. Like I think that generated a lot more hype. Absolutely. I, I don't think you needed some splashy entrance for Jotaro. I think we know enough about him um, and are dedicated enough to him as JoJo fans that that sound effect of time stopping, the color changes on the screen, we knew exactly what was happening in that moment. And I love that, again, his, his entrance isn't splashy in any sort of way. He just sort of creeps back into into the show and the first thing he's doing is saving his daughter he could have stopped time and then like punch poochie in the face he could have stopped time and like went for the bullets but no the first thing he does is reach for his daughter and pulls her to safety all to the tune of his own theme which that is just fantastic too uh because jotaro's theme which i think is titled stardust crusaders um in homage to the title of part three of jojo uh it's such a great anthem that screams, fuck you, the tables are about to turn, and we're going to get the upper hand, which is exactly what happens in this scene as, of course, Jotaro comes back, Hermes comes in with how she harpooned, or they harpooned their way to the Kennedy Space Center, and then Emporio catches up with them as well. Yes, yeah, so I want to like dissect that a little bit. So what Hermes was saying was that they were on the outside of the the bubble, you could say, the the impacted area that uh, Pucci's gravitational pull was was able to reach. And in order to get to the space center, Hermes and Jotaro teamed up, where Jotaro was able to guide them in the correct direction because she can sense, or he can sense, where um, Jolene is at. And then Hermes would double up spears and then they would throw the spears however many feet or meters or whatever towards the space center and they were able to avoid the gravitational pull and move at a quick pace because then she would take the stickers off to force the spears back together and then keep repeating that process like basically almost like hopping little by little all the way to the space center is that right yeah i think it was all just to counteract whatever changes in gravity Poochie was pulling while he was facing off against Jolene. That's honestly so smart. Like that, mm-hmm. that's like a really smart way for the two of them to team up. And it's kind of cool to think that like this is Jotaro and Hermes's first encounter. Her falling out of the gravitational zone, probably over to where the Speedwagon Foundation was dropping Jotaro off. And then they're like, I don't know anything about you, but we're both trying to find Jolene, so fuck it. Let's just make this work. I feel like that was definitely a Jotaro plan. Like, he was the one to come up with it, and Hermes was the one to execute on it. I feel like watching that, it would almost be like watching, like, a firework just move around in space. Or kind of like Spider-Man swinging from building to building. Like, it's like it happens in waves, right? Like, he has to shoot out the webs attached to a building and then swing down to progress forward. I imagine it's the same, but instead of, like, swinging down, they're going up. Like, if like a, like a dolphin out of water or something. They're shooting the spear up into the sky forward and then following that spear using Kiss's abilities. Either way, I think to a bystander, it would just look weird seeing two people floating midair then heading towards a specific point. And then we reach our, uh, my favorite moment, 
maybe our favorite moment. I don't know. I hope that other people enjoy this as much as I do. But it's the moment where Poochie's now incapacitated. There's a bit of a breather. Hermes has explained how they got there in the first place. And you see Jotaro embracing his daughter and holding her hand. And he looks at her. And the first thing he says, well, actually, I don't know if it's the first thing he says. Because he may have said something to her earlier about, like, is she okay? But one of the first things that he says is that she's grown so much. He acknowledges how much she's grown, how much she's done, and how far she's carried that Joestar resolve um, to this point. And I love Jolene's reaction. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't pull away or, you know, brush his hand off. She's just in absolute awe that her, her dad came to her rescue, which we had talked about in the last episode and maybe the one before that was something that she had been longing for Anna so you could tell that she, she had was been longing fighting for. for this moment yeah for so long trying to save him um from the the situation with the discs he's finally here the first thing he does is save her and i don't know it just it, you could tell that brief moment that acknowledgement and her father being there is something that she has wanted since she was a kid since she was a teenager and he had to leave the family like this is something that she has been waiting for for such a long time i think what I particularly love about this scene is the imagery itself. I think kind of leading up to this moment of Jotaro holding Jolene in his arms. Um, I'll say that Pucci's not the only one to have religious references on deck in part six. Because when I saw this scene, I think what happened was like it was like a pan, sh- pan or, not a pan shot, but it was a shot going from Jotaro's legs and going upwards, um, of, and then just revealing that he's holding Jolene in his arms. It's very similar to a a statue in Christian art history, I guess, uh, called the Pieta by Michelangelo um, that represents the, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding Christ in her arms after he's been taken down from the cross but i don't think there's any sorrow in this imagery with jotaro holding jolene as there is in that original uh, piece of art i think here when he's looking at jotaro when jotaro is looking at jolene there is a sense of pride in how his daughter has done so much in the face of extreme adversity and most of it for his sake so even though she looks tired and beaten up he knows that it was all for a very good cause. Doesn't that same imagery come through in part five at some point? Or uh, another part? I feel like we y- talked about yes. it. Like Obviously, we haven't talked about part five. We haven't gotten there yet in our review series. No, I know what you're talking about. I think it's uh, when Giorno and Mista face off against Ghiaccio. And Giorno's holding Mista in his arms. Okay, yeah, I recall that. I recall something like that or another moment in, in JoJo history similar to that. But yeah, I, I think what what might also make this moment so incredible is like you can see in this screenshot that we'll share on the Discord, um, Jolene just completely exhausted. Like her eyes are closed. She looks like almost lifeless because she is just totally exhausted. And Jotaro has one of the softest expressions on his mm-hmm. face that we've ever seen. And I'm sure part of it is relief to see that his daughter is okay, that she's alive. And I'm sure a large part of it is grief and guilt 
that he hasn't been mm. able to be there for her, even though he wanted to. I mean, the whole point of what he did separating from the family in the past was to protect her. And yet here he still was not able to ultimately protect her from this ordeal that she's gone through. And he wanted to be there for her yet again, but, you know, was pulled away from her when he got hit with the discs. So I think that's that's kind of what might be portrayed in this moment. I guess instead of Jesus saving the world, it's Jolene saving the world <laughs> here. <laughs> Not to cause any sort of religious blasphemy, but again, the imagery of this. The last piece that I kind of caught with Jotaro and Jolene harkens back to the beginning of Stone Ocean when they're running away from the visitation room and being chased down by John Gallier. And there's that moment where they're on the staircase and I think he like holds his hand out toward her and she thinks, oh, he's going to help me or try to catch me from falling. But instead he grabs the disc mm. and she's really annoyed by that. She's like, you think a disc is more important, right? Was it a disc? No, it was, no, it was the, the little stand piece of the stand. Yeah, arrow. stand arrow. Yeah, you're right. Um, and she's like, are you serious? Like you care more about this little trinket than you do about me? Not realizing that Jotaro is, is doing that because there's so much importance that that arrow has not only for himself but for for Jolene and all that you know we, we talked about it in that episode here it's the opposite now he's telling her to hold on tight to the railing and she's in awe the entire time doesn't react because she does see like while he may not be super outward about it he does care about her safety and before he walks away from her he wants to make sure that she's got you know something to hold on to in case in case Bucci flips gravity once again See, Jotaro's not a shitty anime dad after all. He's just very Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so as Pucci is trying to escape by floating up into the fucking air, Jotaro stops time after Hermes fires bullets and says he's got five seconds. And once again, it feels like the longest five seconds in the world because we're working within Jojo logic. And as time has stopped, Jotaro kind of pulls like almost a Dio move because, you know, he probably learned from his encounter with Dio. And throws a spear at the same time the the bullets are flying towards Pucci because he knows that as soon as time uh, resumes that Pucci will be too uh, focused on the bullets, stopping those things, to realize or to be able to stop the spear from hitting him. However, Jotaro's plan doesn't exactly work because Pucci is able to, at some level, move within the realm of stops time. Yeah, so I think this is a direct callback, like you said, to part three, specifically episode 47, Dio's World Part 3, where initially uh, Dio's about to, like Dio stops time and is about to eliminate Jotaro, but all of a sudden Jotaro starts moving his finger and that freaks the fuck out of Dio because he <laughs> realizes that... Jotaro had mentioned prior to this fight that the world is the same type of stand as Star Platinum, and that's why he's able to move within stopped time. Which is a great JoJo move, by the way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then, yeah, the harpoon, I think you could call that a reference to how Dio threw a bunch of knives at Jotaro in the same episode and stopped time to see how Jotaro would fend for himself um, in that regard. Um, so, yeah, I think it's now Jotaro is starting to see or like he started to experience how Dio freaked the fuck out, um, seeing his ability to move within stopped time, seeing that 
Poochie is now able to move within stop time, which makes you think, like, is Sea Moon the same type of stand as Star Platinum? <laughs> maybe. I mean, it was derived from Dio's bone, so maybe it is. Yeah. And I was actually, because I was questioning this too, like, how can Poochie move within stop time? And there was a theory, theory by one user on Reddit who said that it is a passive effect gained from Dio's bone. Uh, that allowed Poochie to stop in or to move in stop time much like Dio could. So it's almost like it was an inherited ability from Dio. That's interesting because my theory was that Poochie was able to move within stop time because his ultimate ability is to accelerate time. Mm. So he, I, my thought was this is the first inkling of us getting his time acceleration or him getting his time acceleration ability and that he maybe subconsciously accelerated himself within the stop time just enough to be able to move i don't know how that would work that's just my logic i don't know we'll see no i think both theories are very plausible but <laughs> i think it's this is just showing that Hoochie's not going to stop at anything to, to achieve his goal. And unlike, I guess, Dio in a way, where he was trying to get rid of the Joe Stars in order to achieve his goal, I think Pucci is realizing that he needs the Joe Stars in this moment, Jolene and Jotaro, in order to attain heaven because they're helping him align to the, the right moment and the right time by being able to summon the gravity of the new moon earlier than expected yeah that's kind of the way the episode closes is poochie saying all this stuff about like my enemies have actually been lending me aid since the prison blah 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 and this is what i was alluding to earlier in the episode that i feel like poochie is constantly spinning things in his favor or having a very like i don't know like a positive outlook i mean props to him for always turning his downfalls into positive moments because he says again like these are tests given to me by fate um or you know these are my my enemies are actually helping me at the end of the day to reach my goal i'm like damn dude if i had that kind of positivity then uh maybe uh you know what? That, that's the kind of positivity that all millennials need so we need to take a page out of poochie's book anytime something bad happens just turn it around make it a great moment for yourself because poochie does it all the fucking time and this is no exception but the episode closes with poochie bursting into light or something is going on and we all know it's the final evolution of his stand it's the final countdown kind of looked like um stained glass in a way when you yeah, see the very rays emerge. yeah another again very religious i guess aspect of this episode and that brings us to our final thoughts for part six, episode 35, Sea Moon 2. So did you find this episode infinitely interesting? I did. It was great. It had so many memorable moments for Stone Ocean. Again, Jotaro's return, his moment, um, his sentimental moment with Jolene. Jolene fighting in a completely different way that we've never seen before. And her using probably one of her biggest brain moments of a Mobius strip to stop herself from fucking dying and succumbing to inverted gravity um and just poochie overall being a very interesting villain 
throughout the episode, both in his thought process and his approach and things, but also just getting not being afraid to get down and dirty and just try to finally kill Jolene once and for all. So I think it was a, a an episode that stands out in multiple ways and felt different from what we've seen a lot of in the, the last several episodes. So I did very much appreciate that. What about you? Yeah, I sure love this episode, and you can probably figure out why. Um, yes, Jolene had her triumphant comeback moment, showing once again that you can't fuck with a Joestar. But I think that statement rings especially true when Daddy Jotaro is back in full form and in full effect to try and save the day in the 11th hour, as he has been in the past, or has been doing in the past. Uh, although I do appreciate the brief but sweet father-daughter moment in between the two in the midst of all this chaos that Poochie has wrought. But just when you think the prison posse has it in the bag, this episode proves that Poochie, even with Jotaro stepping in, Poochie will literally stop at nothing to achieve his goal of attaining heaven and unleashes this ability that not even the hunkiest of husbandos could try to stop. And so overall, I think that this was a satisfying, I would, I'd call it like quote-unquote Hollywood episode to close out the Seamoon arc just because of how climactic it seemed. And even though we think things are going in the prison posse the Joe Bros favor, that's absolutely not the case because this episode then launches us into the hell that is made in heaven. Speaking of which, we are in the home stretch. There are only three more episodes of Stone Ocean left in our review series, and it is the Made in Heaven arc and then the closer where Emporio gets strip bought naked and chased by a creepy priest. It's it's great. I can't wait. It's like bittersweet to know that we're coming to a close here in just a few more weeks, um, but exciting to be able to talk about the insane finale for Stone Ocean. So look forward to that. And as always, thank you everybody for tuning in. We appreciate you joining us and sharing our love of JoJo. Subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries and tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.